You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Who is the rub of the J.C. L. Morishul in Elizabeth, New Jersey? For between myself and Rabbi Herman, we have a very long and wonderful relationship. And um, I know he's part of what he's going to speak about is not only Parshas Mishpatim, but also the uh, two versions of Matan Teira. Uh, I think that the uh, one of the most uh, well-known Divrei Chazal from uh, last week's parsha, Parshas Yisrael, is Vayichin Yisrael Keneged Ahar, Ki'ish Echod Belev Echod. I think that we work on Achdus a lot and we talk about it, um, but sometimes there are people who come into our lives and you can always feel that sense of, of, of Lev Echod. I know many times Rabbi Herman and ourself, myself have been, you know, pushing the idea of Harbatz and learning and teaching and trying whatever it takes. And I really feel uh, emistic that, uh, that uh, <laughs> we might not always be Kish Echod, but I know we always, I always feel that we're Belev Echod about what it takes to promote what it means to to teach at the Matarega that people are at, but also elevating them for something higher. Um, not pandering, uh, but always being able to to inspire to go further. So Rabbi Herman, uh, as, as, as uh, someone who shares your heart, as it would be, uh, please thank you so much for agreeing to speak to our Oilum today. Thank you, Rabbi Kavalevich, for that wonderful introduction. I want to give Rabbi Kavalevich a yashikaya for all of the Limud HaTorah that he does, um, whether on the air or in person. Um, it's really a sochus to our community to have Rabbi Kavalevich uh, be <coughs> a um, source of Limud HaTorah on so many levels. And um, I thank him for giving me this opportunity to share with you the thought regarding Parshas Mishpatim. There is a discussion about the order that we find the narrative in the Torah uh, having. Uh, sometimes the, there's a position, a mukta mukha Torah, there isn't really a true uh, order to the way things are lined up in the Torah. Uh, and others say, yes, no, there is an order, chronological order. But either way, there has to be a reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who's who wrote our Torah, who's the author of our Torah, um, giving the parshios, the different uh, chapters in our Torah, different uh, bodies that are within the Torah in the order that they we find them. And if we look into Parshas Mishpatim, what is Parshas Mishpatim? Mishpatim, primarily, um, are laws of Mishpat. Mishpat is uh, just, justice. Uh, they are between man and man. Um, laws of... Uh, liability, damages, responsibility, um, how one should treat another person under certain circumstances, laws of showmen, laws of people who take responsibility to watch things, and what has to be done um, when something happens to the property that they um, are taking care of. And you go through the the Parsha, you find many, many detailed halachos. This is just one of a number of parshios that deal with civil law. Every nation has civil laws, or gives us civil laws. Laws that um, make living together possible. 
But I think it's important to look at how the Torah places this body of law. This is Parshas Mishpatim, pa- follows Parshas Yisro. Parshas Yisro, in Parshas Yisro, you have the Kabbalah Satara, you have the revelation, Har Sinai, Matan Torah, it's called, the giving of the Torah. It's when Jews came and uh, came to Har Sinai, and at Har Sinai, God revealed himself and uh, spoke out the Aserah Sedibras, the Ten Commandments. That is what we learned in Parshas Yisro. At the end of Parshas Mishpatim, at the very end of Parshas Mishpatim, we have the continuation of Kabbalah Satora. We have in chapter 24, Perich um, a, a, a narrative of where Moshe goes up to Har Sinai and where he makes a covenant with the Jewish people. And it's in this Parsha, at the end of Parsha's Mishpatim, is where the Jewish people responded with those famous words of Nasev and Nishma. According to Rashi, all this took place before Matan Torah, before Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai. And so it's curious to think about. You have Parsha's Yisrael, which talks about Kabbalah Satorah. And then in between... The continuation of that story, which is later on at the end of Parshas Mishpat, and you have this whole body of law of Mishpat right in between. Very interesting why the Torah goes ahead and places that. We could ask the question, why doesn't the Torah finish the story? Uh, at least according to Rashi, it says that it took place before Moshe Rabbeinu went on Har Sinai. Why doesn't the Torah just finish the story in Parshas Yisro and then give us Mishpat? So there's something curious about the way the Torah goes ahead and places the whole section of laws that we find in Parshas Mishpatim. Added to this question is the way Parshas Yisrael ends. So you have the Aserah Sadibros, the Ten Commandments, and then the Parsha concludes with instructions to the Jewish people about how to build the Mizbeah, the altar. The altar that would be one of the pieces to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle, that has not yet been commanded to the Jewish people. That takes place in Parshas, uh, Chuma, Tetzaveh, right? That's where we're going to find the Mishkan being told to the Jewish people. Mishkan hasn't yet been told to the Jewish people, yet one piece of that Mishkan is already being taught to the Jewish people at the end of Parshas Kiyisro. When it says Mizbach Adoma Tasali, that the Jewish people should make an altar from the earth. And when you make stones, take stones to make that altar, make sure that you don't carve it out with any kind of metal instrument. And on that altar, you're supposed to bring carbonos. That's the way Pashas Yisro ends. So you have the Aserasa Dibros, you have the instructions about the Mizbach Adoma, the way to go ahead and build the altar that has yet to be told to us where we're going to make that altar, and it's going to be in the Mishkan. And then you have Pashas Mishpatim, beginning with and, and go, continuing through most of the way, with all these laws of justice between Beinadam and Chaveiro, and then coming back to the Aserah Sadibros, the Kabbalah Satorah. 
very curious order to what the Torah uh, gives us between Parshas Yisro and Parshas Mishpatim. How do we make any sense out of this? So let's begin with a comment by the Nesivas Shalom. The Nesivas Shalom tells us that there's a message, very important message that the Torah is giving us to us over here. Yes, every nation has its civil laws. Civil laws are more or less rational laws. And that's the way you would describe these mitzvahs of Beinadim al as mitzvahs that are sikhlis, that are rational. We can make sense out of them to a certain extent. If you really go deeply into these uh, laws of Beinadim al between man and man, uh, these civil laws, they are definitely on a higher standard than any other nation's civil laws. Clearly, very, very, very different. But on uh, a low level, we could understand many of these laws. They're rational laws. Every nation has to have civil laws to maintain law and order. Jewish people have civil laws to maintain law and order. If we didn't have laws of how one person is responsible to another person, who's right, who's wrong, we would not be able to live together. We'd have anarchy. And so one could take a look and say, well, Jewish people have their civil laws and our civil laws are rational laws, just like other nations have their civil laws. There's are, there are differences between the civil laws of one nation and another nation. So there's differences between uh, the Torah's civil law and an other nation's civil law. But it's really the same. It's all based on rational thinking. Comes the Torah and says, no, not so, not so. We just had a Kabbalah, that's all. We just had a revelation at Harsinai where God came and told us that Sarah said Dibros. And then followed by that, we have a Mishpatim. And the Torah begins Mishpatim, Ve'elah Mishpatim. It's Mosif. It's a continuation of Kabbalah Satola to convey the message that our civil laws are just as much a law that comes from God as the Aserah Sedibos. We do not look at our civil laws as laws that are made by man, even though man on some level could conceive of some of the concepts that we have. But when we go ahead and live our lives, or when, let's say, a court presides over a case and offers a din, a judgment, to what's before them, they're coming along and extending God's word to the life situations that are before them. This is not man's rational thinking of who's right, who's wrong. They are implementing God's will into the lives of human beings to tell them what the responsibility and liability is to every situation that occurs. And so when two people come into a court of Jewish law, of Torah law, and the rabbis who are presiding in the Bezdin come along and decide, they're looking into the Torah, they're looking into the Gemara, they're looking into the Shulchan Aruch, into the codes of Jewish law, all that are part of our Torah Shavuksav, our written Torah, they're part of our Torah Shavapeh, our oral Torah, and they're coming along and applying God's principles, God's will, God's values into the lives 
of the people that are before them. So this is a continuation of revelation, not just a matter of deciding who's right, who's wrong. And that's what the Torah wants to come along and convey to the Jewish people. Laws which could very easily be mistaken as rational human laws, the Torah is conveying to us, uh -uh. even if you could understand them, understand the source of every nuance, of every detail of the halacha of Beinodim Lachavero, that it comes from God just as the Ten Commandments came from God. But not only that, let's take it even a step further. We pointed out that Mishpatim follows that very interesting positioning of the Mizbeach at the end of Pasha's Yisra. So we don't go from the Aseris Adibros to Mishpatim. We go from the Aseris Adibros to the Mizbeach to Pasha's Mishpatim. The Mizbeach is put right in between the Aseris Adibros and the Mishpatim. Why? Why is the Mizbeach put there? So in the Sefer Be'er Yosef, he tells us a very fascinating idea. What is a Mizbeach? An altar. What do you bring on the altar? You bring karbonos. You bring sacrifices. When you think about a sacrifice, you think about the base of Migdash, you think about the Holy Temple, you think about the Mishkan, the tabernacle. What, do, what does that represent? That represents the Shrina, the countenance of God. It represents holiness. It re represents the most holiest place in the world, the place where God's presence resides with an intensity that is far greater than anywhere else. We think about bringing an animal, an offering to the base of Migdash, and all that it represents and is supposed to arouse and inspire with each and every Jew a connection, closeness to the Rabboni Shalom. Like the Ramban so famously says that when a person brings a sacrifice upon the altar, they have to envision themselves as the sacrifice. God doesn't want, God forbid, any human being to sacrifice themselves. But when we bring an offering, we're bringing the closest thing that could perhaps represent a life of a human being. And then when we realize that we're bringing that upon the offer and offering that to God, and as it's as if we're offering ourselves to God, imagine the elevated, exalted, spirit, spiritual level that a person can attain, a closeness to God that is almost unfathomable to us. That's what the Mizbeach represents. A connection to Hashem. A bein adam lamakam, a situation where we're doing something between man and God bringing us closest to God. That's the Mizbeach. One doesn't usually look at Mishpatim that way, do they? When we talk about a, a, a judgment about a civil case, think about it. Um, I go ahead and I have an ox, and my ox goes ahead and bores your ox and does damage. Or um, I dig a bore, a pit in the in the road and you or your animal property fall into it and I'm responsible for it. Think about how basic laws we're talking about in Mishpatim. The furthest, furthest thing that comes to a person's mind is that this has something to do 
between man and God. So it has nothing to do with man and God, we would think. After all, <laughs> I did something wrong, negligent. I did something that caused damage. Okay, so there's a law that I have to go ahead and pay the damages. Very, very nice. What does that have to do between me and God? Yeah, you're right. If I follow the law, then God's happy that I follow the law. Do I come closer to God as a result of that? Do I bring holiness into my life as a result of that? What happens in terms of my connection to God when I go ahead and carry out mishpatim, all these laws of mishpat? So here's an incredible idea that's offered by very Yosef and others, by the way. So the Torah wants to know that when we apply Hashem's mishpat, Hashem's laws of responsibility, of justice, of honesty, of righteousness, when we think about everything that we do in terms of din, in terms of what does God want to happen in this case, then what I am doing is elevating this most mundane, basic act of responsibility to levels of spirituality and connection to Hashem equal to offering a carbon on the Mizbeach. Fascinating idea. It seems that the Medrash supports this idea because the Medrash tells us that the din, din, judgment of these kinds of cases that we're talking about is one of the three legs of the kisei hakavod of God's holy throne. Tzedek umishpat machon kisecha, says the Pasuk in Tehillim. That righteousness and mishpat and justice are machon, are the palace of your throne. So when din is carried out, we enter into the palace of the Rabboni Shalom. If our kavana, if our thinking about how we conduct ourselves between one person and another person is all about what does the Torah say I need to do in this case? How does the Torah want the case to be decided? What are the principles of mishpat that the Torah wants us to use to decide, to adjudicate it, any case? If our thinking goes along those lines, connecting every act of one person dealing with another person as what does Hashem want in this case? What is the din of Hashem in this case? And I've elevated, I've transformed, I infused Kedusha holiness into the most mundane areas of life. And along these lines, I want to share with you a very uh, interesting um, uh, quote of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. This is a fascinating quote. Rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta says, In a shul, in a Beisach Nesses, shul, synagogue. In a shul, there's a shuk, there's a market. And in a shuk, in a market, there's a Beisach Nesses, there's a shul. What did Rabbi Yisrael Salanta mean? 
when he said that. Think about it. Very cryptic words over there. Maybe the first one we could get. Sometimes shuls could end up looking like a shuk, depending on the way people conduct, conduct themselves, right? Go into a shul, you sit sometimes in certain rows and you find out what's going on in the stock market. Or you find out like, you know, where's the best deal to buy things, right? Or what's happening in different places. So it sounds like a shuk sometimes, unfortunately, right? So we could get that piece of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta that a basic Nessus could turn into a shuk depending on how people conduct themselves in, in the in the basic Nessus. That we could understand. What does it mean that the in the shuk is a basic Nessus? In the market, there's a basic Nessus. Does it mean that off on an alleyway, you could find you know, a synagogue to go davening? That, is that what we saw? I remember going to a trip to Tzfat and going into the old city of Tzfat. Fascinating, fascinating uh, area to explore. And as you walk through these narrow alleyways of Tzfat and you have various stores and shuk, especially the artist colony, you could, buy, you could find good bargains of uh, paintings over there. All of a sudden you come up to the base, the base Aknesis of the base Yosef. Or you take another street, you come up to the Ariza, you find shuls off these fascinating alleys over there. So is that what Israel means? That in the shuk, there's a basic nessus. If you look at, up the address, you can find a shul, and that's not what Israel means. Same way that he talked about in the shul, there could be a shuk, there could be a marketplace, in the marketplace itself. That's where you have pieces of meat hanging on in front of a storefront, or people haggling and, and negotiating with storekeepers about different things. In that environment, which you don't think has any kedusha, has any holiness, has any sanctity, has any connection between you and God, in that shuk is a basic nessus. Where's the basic nessus? Well, the basic nessus in that environment, basic nessus in that environment is in the way one person deals with another person. If the way people are conducting themselves, whether they are the merchants or whether they are the buyers, if they carry with them the din. Torah? In other words, how do I conduct myself in a righteous, honest, upstanding way according to the laws of the Torah as I interact with another person? What does the Torah say about how I should conduct this transaction? Or if there's some disagreement between two people about a deal that they made and they need intervention by someone who knows halacha, Jewish law, and could apply the laws of mishpatim. And that's what's on the mind of people. They've now taken that mundane activity and brought it to a level of a Besach holiness of a shul, because they're now applying principles of Hashem, of God. They're applying principles that we find in our Torah, whether it's the written Torah or the oral Torah, they're applying it to these basic moments of life and infusing it with the Kedusha, with the sanctity of Torah. That's what's going on up there. And that's really ultimately what the Torah wants. And again, slipping back to to uh, <clears throat> to the Siva Shalom. He says, ultimately, what does Hashem want to accomplish? Ultimately, what Hashem wants to accomplish is to bring His presence into this world. He wants 
his shechina, his countenance, to rest upon the people in this world. And how does God come into this world? He comes through his Torah and the application of his Torah. And so if we take his Torah and bring it into areas of our life, then we've now brought God into every aspect of life in this world. Not only in the base of Medrash, not only to the base of Knesset, we bring him into our homes, we bring him into our offices, we bring him into our stores, we bring him into our business deals. God's presence is continuously with us by the application of his laws and our understanding that everything that we're doing, we're guided by the principles of Hashem as taught through his Torah and the rabbis. And in this regard, we can even understand something else. We can understand the actions of our forefathers, which sometimes were challenged. Remember that story with Yaakov Avinu when he was preparing for his confrontation with Esau and he had to cross over the river? Why did he cross back over the river, leaving him alone and vulnerable to whoever came to struggle with him? Remember that story? Why did he cross back over by himself? So rabbis tell us he went over for Pachet Ketanim, small vessels. Small vessels. Why were they so important to him? Yaakov had a great fortune. He didn't, go, he didn't come back as a poor man. But yet he went over Pachim Ketan. So Rabbi tells you, you know why? Because he looked at every material object that he owned as something that was given to him by God. And therefore, he was responsible. It was invested with a certain kedusha, a certain sanctity. Because in his mind, every act that he did was according to the law that God gave. And if God gave us laws, and based on those laws, I conduct myself and I become, I gain possession of certain objects, then those objects are given to me in a way by God. And I'm responsible, personally responsible for them. I've got to take care of them. Therefore, I have to go over Pachim Ketani. And we can also go back to Pashas Yisrael, where Yisrael saw Moshe Rabbeinu busy judging the Jewish people, and people say, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu, people are lined up, and Yisrael took a look at how, what kind of burden the Jewish people were placing on Moshe Rabbeinu coming along and asking him to keep judging and judging, you know, all the different cases. It doesn't sound right, you know, because he had all these people that had so many problems with each other that they had to come to ask Moshe Rabbeinu so many questions. Who usually goes to a judge? And so usually it's someone who ended up having some misunderstanding with someone else. And they're fighting who's right, who's wrong, who owns, who owes who what and how much. That's really what was going on with the Jewish people as they were standing there by Har Sinai. What's going on? So the Magdalene the explains, no, the Jewish people were already given mishpat. They were already given some laws that earlier of din, of judgment, of Legal matters. They were already given that at Mara not too long ago. And they wanted to make sure that everything that they were doing in their lives and the way they were dealing with each other was according to the din, according to the judgment, the laws that God 
taught Moshe to give to the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people were living and breathing din, mishpat, in their lives. Because they saw that as a way of serving God in every aspect of their lives. So I want to make sure that I'm not taking anything wrongfully from someone else. I want to make sure that I'm not taking advantage of someone. And then I, what I'm gaining for myself is truly belongs to me according to the din of the Torah, not according to my rational thinking, what seems to be moral and righteous. But what does God want in this situation? They found this as a way of coming closer to God in their daily activity, in every moment of life. This is a transformational concept that the Torah is teaching us by putting mishpat between the Aseris and Dibros. Don't think that you are religious only when you're in shul or only when you're in the base of Medrash or only when you're sitting with a Sefer Torah. You're serving God and religious and spiritual and holy every moment of your life as you carry the Torah with you in everything that you do. That's mishpat. That's the why mishpat is between the Aseris and Dibros of Yisrael and the rest of the story of the Aseris and Dibros at the end of Mishpat and to give us that message. It's just a continuation, continuation of revelation itself with every din that's being decided by every judge who thinks about what's right based on what the Torah says, not about his rational thinking. So this is, you know, a wonderful message to take with us, you know, as we go out and deal with so many things. You know, we think, oh, you know, I've got this thing I have to deal with, I have to deal with that, you know, and it's taking me away from my Avodah Sakodesh, it's taking me from my holy work on the contrary. Every situation that I have to deal with and find the guidance of Torah in that situation, I'm connecting to God. I'm bringing God into my life. I'm serving a Kurdish Baruch Hu, just as the, a Jew would when he brings an offering to the Mizbeach in the base of Mikdash. What an elevated, uh, what an inspiring message that is to take with us. Really could be transformational. And I hope we kind of take that in and use it to guide us and inspire us as we go about our day. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.